So from a consumer standpoint, okay, yes, we've got over a billion users and all the, all the stats, but from a business perspective, we still have some of the challenges around perception that I mentioned. Mm. We're still proving ourselves against some of the big players that have been in market for a really, really long time. And I think we've got really compelling evidence now to say that people should be um, investing more in, in TikTok. Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked. I'm Lucy Shelley, your host for today and multimedia editor at Performance Marketing World. In this episode, we are going to be talking about all things TikTok, how it's grown to fame and how it's competing as a challenger brand against the more established social and entertainment platforms. Later in this episode, we will be hearing from TikTok's Simon Hofmeister on how to unlock TikTok as a performance channel. But before we hear that, we are joined by PMW's news reporter, Joe Arthur, to see what attention TikTok has been getting in the news recently. So welcome to the studio, Joe. Hey, Lucy. Thanks for having me. What has been crossing your news desk recently on the TikTok front? Fair bit happening in the news world at the moment on the TikTok social media front, Lucy. Um... The latest interesting news out of out of TikTok is that both TikTok and uh, its sort of competitor rival these days, Meta, uh, are exploring the introduction of an ad-free paid subscription tier for their respective platforms. And this was not entirely surprising because we've seen a lot of other platforms do this as well. We've seen uh, Elon Musk has introduced this with X. He's threatened the introduction of it with X, yeah. He has threatened it indeed, which... Uh, would be a, a, another final nail in the coffin, I think. Was quoted. lambasted by by the industry and by users yeah. alike. But um, I don't know. Twitter and X, it keeps hanging around. And people, I still see people on there. So we'll see what happens on that front. But yeah, mm. it's not a total surprise because um, Amazon Prime announced that they're going to soon join the likes of Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Now TV, Paramount+, Plus, and Peacock. Uh, in charging users extra for an ad-free subscription tier on their streaming platform. So it's something we've seen a lot in the streaming world. But it's it's particularly interesting to see that same strategy employed or potentially employed in the, the world of social media with Meta and TikTok. And I think it's particularly surprising in the world of social media because of the way people engage with the platform, particularly when the highest users of the platform are most likely to be the ones that will pay for the ad-free subscriptions, which will affect brands and advertisers in this way because the pool of data will all be changing. Yeah, if Meta and TikTok are to introduce an ad-free paid subscription tier and users do get behind it, it's got quite a a, a lot of implications for brands and and those Mm. in terms of where they put their ad spend and sponsorships on social media, even things like paid social influences as well. So there's a lot to unpack, but yeah, it it certainly complicates things for brands in terms of their ad spend Mm. on these platforms. It's been speculated that this has happened because of especially with Meta, but TikTok's been under fire from the GDPR regulations over the last year. But this is a reaction to the privacy and data changes that have been happening. Yeah, so it's um, the Digital Services Act, the DSA, it's GDPR. It's made it a lot harder to target your audiences because of the availability of data and third-party cookies. We know that in Europe... Um, users are going to have the ability to opt out of personalization altogether very, very soon. And yeah, this is a little bit of a response from the social media kingpins saying, that's all right. Uh, If the users like us, then perhaps they'll pay. And it's essentially a strategy that will offset a little bit of that lost ad spend that they'll make back in subscriptions. 
And I think it, it's been reported that it's going to be difficult for these platforms to work out a price level that is going to replace the ad intake that they've got from their advertisers that's also going to be equitable across regions. Yeah, yeah, it's really challenging. I think uh, this isn't something that can be employed at the click of a finger, can it now, Lucy? (laughs) Brilliant Um, podcast uh, sound. (laughs) I hope that didn't peak the audio. No, but um, there's a couple of factors. It's, yeah, how much are they going to charge and will it offset ad spend? Uh, TikTok in particular gets, you know, generates a lot of money in this way. The other thing as well is it changes the user's relationship with brands and with the social media platform. Um, They've got to be willing to pay for it. Um, If users don't jump on board to these paid subscription tiers, then it's not of huge benefit. Um, But ultimately, it's an interesting run for brands. And we do dissect this a little bit in some of the analysis pieces that have come out in in the past weeks, especially following the breaking of this news about a fortnight ago. Uh, But essentially from brands themselves, the the, the comments from some experts within the industry are just that it it complicates ad spend a little bit and how much they're going to invest. And I think the bottom line is just it's an opportunity undoubtedly for TikTok and Meta, but on the brand side... Brands have got to look at their own advertising tactics and consider whether or not they've been fueling things like ad fatigue, over-investing in one particular platform or one area of ad spend. Um, so they might have to get a little bit more creative and, and maybe look to dis- diversify a little bit. So no one brand is over-reliant on no one single channel. Competition is getting fierce. Competition's getting fierce. And it's, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting for us marketing nerds to <laughs> keep an eye on what happens in the in, in the coming months. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And without further ado, we will next hear the interview we have with TikTok's Simon Hofmeister on how they are working with brands and getting them on board to stay on the platform. <laughs> We are joined by TikTok's very own Simon Hofmeister, industry head of e-commerce global business solutions at TikTok. And prior to his one and a half years at TikTok, Simon was global head of performance marketing at ASOS, where he worked for over seven years, plus another five years at AWIN Global. Hello, Simon, and welcome to the studio. Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. First, I'd like to ask, I mean, TikTok, I mean, we write about it all the time. You only have to be on our site for a very short amount of time to see it cover (laughs) the news. Um, Because the amount of updates you go through, uh, a lot of improvements. There's search ads toggle was a new thing, recent thing that we wrote about. Yep. It must be a very exciting place to be. What's it like working for TikTok right now? Uh, It's a lot of fun, to be honest. It's a very dynamic environment, as you would imagine. Lots and lots of change all the time. Lots of information to keep up with, which Mm. can be a bit challenging. But also, like I said, very exciting. Uh, Loads of new products coming out constantly. Really, really great. Uh, Lots of enthusiasm around the business as to how it's Mm. going. Um, from an e-commerce perspective, we're very heavily into Q4 planning and, and execution at the moment, which is very, very exciting. Mm. Overall, great. Loving it. It's good fun. Yeah. Um, pretty mad, but yeah, a great place to be. And so as, uh, you know, e-com lead, is this the busiest time of year for you? Is this- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, so I think what's really interesting, working with a bunch of different e-com businesses now, so previously at one business at ASOS, um, it's a real range as to how prepared people are for, for peak. 
I've heard this. Some people yeah. aren't as prepared as others, and you think no. you know when it is. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and it's the same every year, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah, so it's it's quite weird. Some of them are start planning around the sort of July period, which mm-hmm. feels like the right time to start doing okay. it. Some of them are just not thinking about it then because they've got big summer sales on or whatever. Um, some of them, depending on their like financial year, their financial year might end just before the start of peak, or it might be that they are partway through and therefore they they may or may not know what budgets they have. And what does how does your relationship work with them in this way and TikTok? Do you kind of like work with them in, you know, promoting it on TikTok? How does that kind of work? Well, we, we basically go in and tell them what we think they should do on TikTok for peak. Okay. That's kind of what we do. <laughs> Replace peak with anything else and that's yeah. kind of our job. Um, so we go and tell them how to use the platform in, in the best way to um, attract new customers prior to peak and then hammer their discounts throughout, throughout the peak period. Um, so it's a lot, of, a lot about that and a lot around the right kind of content as well and working with the right kind of creators and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So really it's a consultative role. Um, we know what they want to do over that period. We tell them the best way in which to use the platform to hit whatever their objectives may be. Because we were, we were talking about this before we started recording about um, kind of the education that's going on around yeah. TikTok. As much yeah. as it's, you know, one of the most popular social media platforms out there because it's so new, brands are... Are they, would you say, hesitant or just really open for like learning how to do this platform that they, is very new in their strategy? Yeah, definitely the latter. To be honest, a lot of the e-commerce brands are a lot further along their journey with TikTok than some other verticals, okay, let's yeah. say, like finance or travel, for example. Um, I think because it leans very heavily in, into some of the, some similar things they do on other platforms. Um, they know that their audience is there. Um, the products that we have now are, I would say, kind of on, on par with some of the other platforms that they're using. So it kind of makes sense to to be on TikTok. Mm. Um, they're very open to learning more about the platform. Oh, brilliant. Well, let's get in and start with a pretty pretty open question. Sure. But as an expert, I'm sure mm. you're, no, this is why you're here. Let's so see. Let's find out. Let's talk about the social media and e-commerce yeah. landscape because it's changing a lot at the moment. What's your perspective from where you sit? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest changes we've seen in the last maybe like three years or so um, is this move into short form video content being like the primary content type that people are consuming. Um, fueled a bit by the rise of TikTok for sure. Uh, but there are all the other kind of platforms are doubling down on this kind of content as well. Um, so it's a massive shift. And then as part of that shift, I think we've seen a movement from influencers being um, people with an already established base of users, whether they're celebrities or whatever, however it might might come about. Um, and people want to tap into their existing audience to this idea of the creator that can be anyone. Uh, and actually their superpower, as it were, is not the following they have, but the their ability to create content that is engaging and keeps the user's um, attention. And then alongside those things, this kind of like democratization, I think is the word, um, of, <laughs> of creative and video creative. Uh, you have people who are creating user-generated content, very kind of lo-fi, just using their phones, um, and talking very authentically about what they're into, aligned to a particular community they might be in. Community is obviously a big thing on, on TikTok. Um, and what that really does for the end user is it creates a sense of trust because that person is a regular person talking about things they're actually interested in. So you have this level of authenticity and trust. And then you combine that with the other side, which is this need to grab attention and keep attention. Um, and in order to do that, content needs to be entertaining. So if you put those two things together, 
this idea of trusting in the person whose content you're looking at and trusting their opinion because it seems and is genuine a lot of the time um, when they talk about products and things to do with commerce mixed with also being entertained by that person um, entertainment of course being like a, a fueling to putting you in a good frame of mind uh, and there is evidence to suggest that if you are in a good frame of mind, then that also um, increases your propensity to purchase. Mm -hmm. Those two things together are very, very powerful for fueling commerce. Um, if you, I don't know if you know of the uh, TikTok made me buy it mm -hmm. phenomenon, let's yes. call it. <laughs> so currently I checked today that hashtag is at 73 billion views at wow. the moment. Um, that is a group of people talking about product that they have obviously seen on TikTok. Uh, and then they want to tell other people about because they really like the product. Often it is aligned to, as I said, some kind of community. For example, BookTok is a huge community on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Someone who regularly posts to that community may have found something as simple as a fancy bookmark that they particularly like. Uh, they found it on TikTok, they bought it, they tell the rest of the community about it. And then the way in which we kind of look at that now and the way in which that's influencing the kind of consumer decision-making process is we refer to it as an infinite loop. Mm -hmm. So whereas there was a marketing funnel, we're now talking about an infinite loop. The idea being the discovery process happens in a platform such as TikTok. Mm. So that's discovery. The person then discovers, decides they want to buy that product because it aligns to what they're interested in. They purchase the product, but then they also talk about the product on the platform. Someone else discovers it that way and it creates this infinite kind of loop which is super powerful so it's just tiktok just trying to change the landscape as much as they can they've influenced the other uh, the other platforms and now they're just changing the funnel up just well. changing the funnel <laughs> switch it on its head turn it around yeah uh so it's happened fairly organically um but it's definitely something that we are uh, advising brands on how to to make the most of and to to kind of supercharge but yeah, it's 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 definitely the the main thing I think that's changing around social as it pertains to commerce, also TikTok shop, obviously, um, and being able to check out within app that kind of closed loop experience, also changing changing the game of social and commerce. And then I think the last piece of the puzzle um, that's come at just the perfect time, I suppose, is the kind of aging Gen Z population. Mm. Um, so. At this stage, I think the oldest Gen Zer is about 26, I think. So they have more purchasing power um, and they've grown up with socials and, and checking out on mobile and all that kind of stuff. They're very comfortable with the whole medium. So, so you have that, plus you have the power of the content being authentic, plus the entertainment, plus potentially checking out in the same app. So the ease of checking out. And it's a very, very powerful combination, really. Yeah. So that's, that's how I think those two things are, are changing over time. You've just spoken about a few things there. So TikTok made me buy it. Mm. Huge trend. I don't know yeah. who began that. Just, you know, a little joke one time and now it's got 70 billion. I probably should know. It'd be a good fact, wouldn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't I it? I don't have that information. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know if it was just some random person or an inside TikTok, uh, someone, you know, internal TikTok person. <laughs> I'm hoping it was the former. It may have been the latter. I, must have I don't been know. Because yeah, that's I what I was going to so. ask, actually. When it comes to trends. Yeah. I'd assume that most of them are uh, formed from their users. Yes. Um, they all form from users. How does TikTok then support trends or do you just see what organically develops? Um, so I think the trends normally starts, like appears very organically. Mm. Um, we then obviously see that a certain hashtag might be trending and we can understand why that's happening. Mm. We can then see that information to our, all the clients we work with as well if they want to try and hop on said trend. Then there's also... So brands will also kind of try and form their own 
start their own trends. And I think that's kind of a, it's an interesting tactic, but there is no silver bullet to, to generating a trend. Um, and we have a bunch of products that are related to uh, building awareness and increasing um, engagement with, with brands, things like we have a branded mission where creators can uh, create content around a particular hashtag or moment in an attempt to kind of generate uh, virality kind of across the platform and get people to get involved. So we have ways of uh, encouraging that kind of thing, I suppose. But most of it, I think, does happen very, very organically. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to see it filter out as well. I don't know if you've been watching Bake Off recently. I haven't, actually. <gasps> uh, well, you should, no. because the advert before, I can't, it's a, it's a supermarket. It might be M&S or Sain, I think it's yeah. Sainsbury's. And you know that is it cake or is it not cake? Trend? Oh yes, of course, yeah, yeah. So oh, the, I've seen that ad. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. So good. I think yeah, it's yeah. brilliant, and it's just funny to see how it all filters out, and it doesn't even mention yeah, social so in the slightest. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. need to because yeah. yeah, everyone knows where it came. There's from. also a whole game show in the US, cake or not cake? Maybe it's called sure, <laughs> Is It Cake? Something me. like that. Yeah. Or just cake? Question mark. Cake? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that exists as well, where contestants come on and they have to guess which of the things are cake or not cake. Yeah. That sounds like brilliant daytime mad. TV. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> and actually, the, the payoff is the same every time, which is quite mad about that show. Every time you're like, oh my God, that's a cake. <gasps> no but it's way. like 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> but every time it's great, yeah. And people are still surprised. I okay. know. And the last thing you uh, picked up on was the kind of the aging population, but the you know generations that are using yes. TikTok. Which leads me on to the next question. Sure thing. Because... There's a misconception, I think, mm. that older generations are not on TikTok. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, well, I don't know, you tell me if I'm wrong, but is, do you think this is a reason why some senior leaders are still, you know, taking some convincing to jump into TikTok? Because they just don't see their own generation on it. Why do you think there is a slight hesitation in that? Yeah, place? I think there's a few things at play. Definitely perception of the platform is, is a big one. We've done a huge amount to educate uh, brands and businesses um, around these sorts of topics. One of one of which is, as you mentioned, even though I talked about Gen Z a lot a minute ago, they are a large part of the platform, but by no means the only people on the platform. Um, our fastest growing demographics are millennials and Gen X. It's actually quite a lot of Gen X on the platform. You can get in front of anyone basically on TikTok because everyone is there in different proportions, but definitely a slightly older demographic exists on the platform. Um, so that is one challenge that we have. Another challenge, is the perception still that TikTok is just people dancing and lip syncing. Mm. Um, and it, it's come so so much further than that, obviously, in, in the time period it's been going. Uh, there's a huge amount of educational content out there now. Um, anything you want, you're interested in, you can find on TikTok and you can find your own niches and communities. I mentioned book talk, there's gym talk, there's fashion talk, there's all this kind of stuff. So the, the range of content is almost infinite. So it isn't just people dancing. If you like that, Maybe it is for you and your own, your own feed. Yeah. Um, but there's so much more than that. And then I think one of the other misconceptions is that as a platform, we are only good at generating um, brand awareness or hitting kind of brand related KPIs mm. and not a performance channel. Obviously, I wouldn't be on this podcast if, we, if, if that, that was true. <laughs> It'd be quite an awkward conversation. <laughs> uh, we've done a huge amount in the last uh, couple of years to further improve our performance offering. TikTok is absolutely a, a full funnel channel uh, and working with e-commerce brands, you know, a lot of them are very, very heavily focused on performance uh, and we're helping them to drive their performance goals. So th those three things are probably some of the main misconceptions. Um, I think another challenge that we have, it's kind of industry-wide, but maybe it pertains a bit more to video-related platforms like a TikTok, is, is measurement. So 
uh, a lot of businesses, e-commerce businesses, still rely very heavily on a on last click attribution, thirty day last click, and especially at a very senior level, that's the data that they're being fed on a on a daily, weekly basis, right? So they they're seeing we may have spent X amount of money within a platform like a TikTok, but why can't I see any sales against it kind of mm-hmm. thing? And it's kind of a very old way of, of looking at things. The the media landscape has changed a lot since that form of attribution became commonplace, um, which is probably well over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the way in which consumers are viewing content and seeing brands and discovering things has completely changed. As we spoke about earlier, short form video is, is now absolutely huge. And a last click attribution model doesn't really take that into account. So we do a lot of education around that, and and there's a lot of um, a lot of businesses want to change. By the way, and, and a lot of businesses understand it, but it's quite a big shift for them. And by by businesses, you mean the e-commerce clients that you kind of work with mm. on TikTok? Yeah. yeah, and and they're probably the most forward thinking when it comes to measurement because they look at performance more than maybe some other verticals. Yes, it's a bigger part of what they do on a on a daily weekly basis. So they're very open to it, and we've been working with a bunch of um, third parties that run multi-touch attribution, including view through. So some businesses run their own multi-touch attribution internally, but it's often just click-based. So again, doesn't account for the power of someone seeing a video, not clicking through, and then going to look at looking at that product later or buy it later or whatever. Um, and when working with those kinds of partners, we see that TikTok has a kind of equivalent return on ad spend to the other platforms um, that may be a little more clicky, shall we say? <laughs> Um, More clickier platforms. Yeah, that how you know them. <laughs> that's what we call them internally. No, we don't really. Um, so yeah, so we're seeing double-digit return on ad spend when viewed with a multi-touch attribution model that includes view through, which is obviously super encouraging. And and also some of that I've seen backed up by uh, mixed media modeling studies that lots of brands are now adopting yes. um, because of all the issues we have around measurement. You, so you mentioned earlier about everyone's user experience is going to be different. Yeah. Um, your feed is going to be different on on the app. And because I think that is probably one of the things that gives TikTok, uh, you know, the edge over others is its personalization. For sure. Um, and what, what would you say are the other like big key benefits that is a draw for brands on the platform? Yeah. So definitely one of the biggest is the hyper personalization. Mm. Um, I think the other is the the type of content, as I mentioned, it's user generated, it's more authentic. Um, I think it gives brands an opportunity to kind of play in a slightly different space and give a slightly different voice to their brand and to connect with the end user in a more humanized way. Um, good examples, I suppose, are some of the big high street banks are now coming on to TikTok, like NatWest is a really good example. Uh, you may traditionally think of a high street brand as having fairly serious marketing and, and not necessarily being quote unquote fun, no offense to NatWest specifically. But those those brands are coming onto the platform because they see a real benefit in the educational side of it and reaching a younger audience, obviously older people exist on TikTok, but um, they may want to branch out to a younger, let's say Gen Z audience. They can do that with financial advice via authentic finance related creators. So it kind of opens up a new line of conversation, I think, with an audience that they can't really get elsewhere. Um, Another example of a brand that maybe is perceived as fairly serious is uh, Burberry. So Burberry, luxury brand, fairly serious. All of their content, their advertising content is um, very high, uh, high quality production, probably very expensive to do, big photo shoots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, They're able to come onto TikTok and work with creators on slightly on things that would be slightly outside what you'd expect of Burberry that actually pique the interest of, of the end user. For example, 
they work with a uh, Sylvanian families um, creator that uses Sylvanian families for the listener uh, who doesn't know <laughs> Sylvanian families <laughs> is a sort of um, woodland creature type set of toys that I think were popular in the 80s, I want to say, or early 90s. Well, they were popular with, yeah, I, started, I think 90s they, for sure. Was it 90s? I mean, maybe in the 80s as well. I, I feel like I remember so. them when I was really young. I only had about four years in the 80s of my life. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, they partnered with that that particular uh, creator and they did a bit of a, a skit type thing um, promoting a Burberry handbag. Mm. Uh, it's just something you wouldn't expect necessarily, but they're able to play around within the space, which I think is great for brands. I think you can definitely see that as it's definitely a, a playful app in the sense that people test a lot. Yeah. on the platform I mean you know between now and six months time it can change so yeah, much definitely. in how people are interacting with the platform I think that's what makes it so exciting is it's changing the relationship between consumers of brands you know with other platforms as well um, so it must be a fun place to be from your side of the camp I mess, there must be a lot of kind of like we are TikTok you know <laughs> look at what we're doing no way we are humble humble to our core uh, so no we don't necessarily feel that way I think we, we understand that you know, we're a new entrance to the market. Mm. Yes, okay, technically, I suppose, in a way, we've, we've sort of shook up the digital space in that the way in which people are consuming content, uh, short form video, as I mentioned, has kind of come from the emergence of TikTok, which is amazing. But no, I think we're, we're very aware that we're still, we're still a niche, it's not niche, but we're still a small player when it comes to the business side of things. Does it still feel like a challenger brand in that sense? I think so, yeah. yeah. From a consumer standpoint, okay, yes, we've got over a billion users and all the, all the stats, but from a business perspective, we still have some of the challenges around perception that I mentioned. We're still proving ourselves against some of the big players that have been in market for a really, really long time. And I think we've got really compelling evidence now to say that people should be um, investing more in, in TikTok. Mm. Uh, and it's very exciting because there's... A huge amount there's a huge pie out there and the slice for us is very tiny at the moment um and shifting that theoretically should be fairly straightforward because i think our proposition is is really unique um who would yeah. you say you're trying to persuade the most at the moment is there kind of like a sector or oh, i see when you say you're trying to prove yourself you know you're you know e-commerce e is obviously probably um pretty popular um, yeah as a as a vertical on TikTok. yeah yeah for sure are there are there kind of areas where you're like this is somewhere that uh, hasn't quite cracked it yet, but we're keen to kind of convince them. I think some of the some of the verticals where the decision making process is a bit longer. So, like, so for e-commerce, it works really well because you can you can show off a product uh, and generate excitement for a product with authentic content, and someone can then just go and buy it in a really short space of time, and it has heavily reduced that kind of consumer decision making process. For things like, and by the way, we've made huge strides in this area and the teams that work on these are amazing, but things like travel, things like uh, auto, which is a bit more traditional um, TV, media, uh, things like finance as well, trying to find younger people on the platform. Um, so all of those kinds of verticals have been probably slower to crack, but, uh, but are also really, some of them very, very heavily leaned in now. And it's a case of just like growing... Uh, growing their confidence and, and growing what they're doing with the platform. But I think some of those verticals have been slower, but they're definitely being kind of unlocked, pardon the pun on the podcast name. No, brilliant. Um, Thanks for getting it no. in. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I guess that also is representative of how those verticals are on the whole of social media. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like it's like you said, it's a more considered purchase. Yeah, Not for everyone's sure. buying a, a Volvo on TikTok shop. Yeah, yeah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So we've heard, you know, how great TikTok is and the success that people mm. are getting it. But what are the what are some of the common challenges or common mistakes that brands are making that's not giving them the success that they? So yeah, measurement's a big one. Um, so yeah, not not kind of showing the real value of of what's going on the platform as it as it pertains to lower funnel performance. Um, I think more like generally across e-commerce, maybe even more generally across marketing. Um, and it's more e-commerce, but like over-reliance on, shoot myself in the foot here, over-reliance on performance. <laughs> Obviously performance is really important and people should you know, spend a lot of money mm. in performance. No, but there is, there tends to be an over-reliance on that within e-commerce because it's quite short-term thinking and people are trading on a weekly basis and that's mm. what they can see driving the numbers. Um, and what, what we tend to see is um, brand gets overlooked and or is very, very difficult to measure the impact on the bottom line. And at the end of the day, as much as brands tend to say, yeah, we want to reach these people, and we want to drive this awareness or whatever, they also want to understand what it does to the bottom line yeah, and how it affects yeah. performance. And actually on this, I saw on uh, LinkedIn a couple of days ago, a post from uh, Phosphor, who were actually the multi-touch attribution partner I was talking about before. Mm. So they have a bunch of data on um, full funnel activity across loads of e-commerce brands. And they released some uh, insight that it takes at least 10 months for your upper funnel branding activity to kind of hit or affect your performance activity. Oh, wow. That's um, a great stat. You guys at home can look into the data on that and see whether you believe it or not. <laughs> but I think it's a really, really almost like a jaw dropping stat because it's the kind of thing that as marketers, I think we all know. But it's very, very difficult, I think, and any CMOs out there, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a challenge that, that CMOs have is proving the effectiveness of brand in a short, relatively short space of time, yeah. especially for businesses that aren't already spending a lot of money in above the line or, or brand activity. Yeah. Um, and it's a real difficult challenge. So I think studies like that are super interesting mm. to kind of highlight how long it can take. Um so there's that's a couple, I think. It's really interesting because yeah. we are seeing the pendulum swing a bit between performance and brand, and it works very differently for so many different... Yeah, verticals uh, and brands, verticals, for sure. brands yeah, yeah, yeah. within verticals as yeah. well. Um, and do you think that's an issue with, like we said, I know we're talking about measurement here, but just yeah. like social media, it's hard to get away from those kind of vanity metrics and yeah. to understand the impact of something in a different way. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of reframing the narrative in that way, perhaps? Yeah, I think it is. And and for, for social and indeed like entertainment video media, uh, TikTok being an entertainment platform in theory, <laughs> not a social platform. Anyway, um, yeah, so for those kinds of platforms, you're right, the vanity metrics um, are kind of, they're more aligned to organic social, I think, mm. nowadays. It's very hard to measure the impact of, of organic social. Um, with paid social, um, it's obviously a lot easier. And I think more and more brands are real, realising that they have to implement controlled lift studies to understand what's actually going on. Um, so obviously brand lift to understand the effect on awareness, consideration, et cetera, et cetera. But also conversion lift as well. But I think that's... That's where, I mean, that's where marketing has been for a long time, but it's increasingly heading in that direction, um, especially as we move into a world of increased privacy and increased user data security, which is absolutely the right direction to go in. Um, but as, as we have uh, less concrete kind of audience signals, there's definitely a need for um, running different kinds of, of modeling. So mixed media modeling, as I mentioned previously, is only going to increase in popularity. 
Um, things like geolifts, we see a lot of brands doing that as well because it's not re- not reliant on audience data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so all of those things, I think, will become way more prevalent in understanding how how all through like through the funnel marketing affects the bottom yeah. line, but also you can kind of understand how adding an awareness layer, for example, affects overall bottom line um, metrics. Well, before we move on to the resell me a pen challenge, yes, I want to hear about TikTok's future. Great, and, you know it's had a it's had me a crazy too. few years. Yeah, <laughs> no. what's happening? Tell me. So yeah, I mean, what what's how 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 do you see it looking like in the, in the next you know, two years even? Yeah, I mean, what what are the ambitions of the platform? Yeah, great question. So I think the um, it's sounds really, sounds like a bit of a cop out. Continue doing what we're doing, <laughs> uh, but so the overarching kind of business mission purpose is to inspire creativity and enrich life, which is a vague answer, but <laughs> drilling that down into actually something more tangible. So we have kind of three groups of, uh, I guess, users, consumers, whatever you want to call them. You've got the the general user of, of the platform who's consuming content. Uh, for them, we want much better and more relevant discovery. So the, the For You page that serves you relevant content, we want to obviously improve that all the time and show them stuff that they're actually really interested in. Um, we also want them to have a very frictionless journey on the app when it comes to um, purchasing from a commerce perspective. Yeah. So obviously TikTok shop exists, obviously the ambition is to grow that, um, but also make it very, very easy uh, and enjoyable for people to purchase through the app. Um, the other group of people that we're very interested in is the creators, obviously. Yes. So we want um, we want them to find it very easy to create content. We have a bunch of uh, creative tools. I'm sure you're familiar with CapCut, which is kind of a sister app also owned by our parent company um, to make it easy for creators to make content. We also want them to be able to connect with brands even easier. Uh, so creating solutions around that. And then the other the other part of the puzzle, I suppose, is the brands and the um, retailers themselves. Again, we want it to be easier for them to work with creators um, we want it to be easier for them to create content themselves as well, which is why we, as I mentioned, have a bunch of different tools they can use to do that. Um, and also we want better ad products for them. We want, not that they're not good now, they're very good now, but in the future, <laughs> we want to keep improving that and releasing products that allow them to get in front of the right people at the right time and, and move them all the way through the funnel to purchase. So it is kind of more of the same. But focusing, I think, on those three groups of people. It sounds like just a big, big workshop over at TikTok, just like constantly yeah, trying to like, like just ha- make things, build things, and kind of. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of testing. It's really, it's honestly, it's very, very exciting. Every day, something else pops up, and you're like, "Oh, that's cool. I wonder mm-hmm. how that's going to go." And then it might disappear, <laughs> and then something else pops up. Yeah. Well, we have come to the final Great. question. I can't wait for this. You're the first person to say that because yeah. everyone that gets it is so it. terrible. They hate it. They hate it. Yeah. Okay. But um, not me. Which Maybe I should. It's good because you've been given a really horrible challenge. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, you've been given. This is our previous guest, Jimmy Robinson from Ping Pong Digital. You, Jimmy, who is based in the US and owns a Chinese marketing agency. So he's his task assignment to sell Eurovision. Mm. This is actually very interesting. Uh, did he know it was going to be me? doing this he did not know Ah, so tiktok was the official eurovision entertainment partner for this last i think last two years maybe oh no way so there's a massive synergy between tiktok and eurovision oh so this is easy then well you've already done this basically not necessarily (laughs) because so so the way i'm approaching this um because jimmy it was jimmy yeah jimmy yes jimmy Jimmy. is based in the u.s Mm -hmm. and i think you told me that 
his reason for picking it was because it's not big in the US and it, yes. and it is big yeah, in Europe yeah. and why is that kind of thing? He was kind of like, sell it over here, basically. Yeah. <sighs> Simon, when are you, when you are ready, okay. you have 60 seconds to resell me Eurovision. Okay, great. First thing, I'm gonna start with messaging. If you are selling to the US, you need to localize your content, right? So I'm going for big, bold statements that a US audience can relate to, e.g. bigger than the Super Bowl, <laughs> stuff like that. More glitter than RuPaul. More drama than the Kardashians, that kind of thing. Audience and targeting, I'm going Gen Z. Um, obviously other age groups are available on our platform, but I'm going Gen Z uh, because I think most people who watched it in the Europe were Gen Z. I'm going off to college students as well. I'm gonna be testing out some contextual targeting, running against music content on video platforms in the wake of the death of third party cookies. Um, also doing a bit of first party data capture. So maybe like a competition, win tickets to Europe to see the show, to get first party data. I'm running it in mainly social entertainment media platforms, video platforms, probably connected TV. I feel like that's relevant for this as well. Partnerships wise, probably partner with a big entertainment channel, maybe TikTok, um, and then other streaming platforms. And last but not least, measurement-wise, I'll be running in-platform brand lift study to understand how, how that works. And then also a geo lift on certain states to measure the impact on brand search and viewers. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. I, I was stressed. Did anyone else find that really panicky trying to yeah. Wow, okay. Oh. I mean, what you've done there is you've just done a little bit of free work. I have. For the Eurovision, Eurovision team. committee, whoever yeah. it is. I don't know. Is, are they their own brand? Probably. Uh, yes. I don't know. I have no clue. Maybe I don't know. Well, that. let us I think, know, I think Eurovision. It is. I think they are a thing, a brand a thing. It's obviously a thing. <laughs> They're definitely a thing. Definitely a thing. But And, and now a thing in the US. Well, after, yeah, after with that, with that one minute marketing plan. Look at that. That was the most um, in-depth and varied plan that we think we might have heard wow. on the uh, podcast. We've done about and honored. almost 50 episodes of Whoa. this. Whoa, I'll take that. Maybe um, this could be a new like business venture, one minute marketing plans. Well, for yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah just for me personally. <laughs> Anyone out there want a one minute marketing plan? One minute marketing plan. I'm your man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get your LinkedIn going. Just <laughs> yeah, like... I should do. Um, I mean, I was sold with your with your three uh, sentences, to be honest. More glitter than RuPaul. I mean, brilliant. Yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the geo lift again. Got to get the measurement thing in there. I love, yeah, love yeah, a bit yeah. of that. You know, you know <laughs> our <seem>. audience <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> being one of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, this is such an easy one, but you have resold yeah! your vision to the US To the whole market. of the US. You've confirmed <laughs> you, that, have you? The United States, United okay, States have, have bought Okay, fantastic. Um, I can confirm being clearly from the US. Yeah, well. clearly based there and working there right now. Um, but yeah, so have you chosen an object for our next guest to resell? Tiddlywinks. <gasps> I love it. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Do you know why I love it? Because my dad, <laughs> this brings me back to my dad. He's always said to me, um, and this is such an odd thing but he, he says you don't need all the qualifications in the world you just need a passion like I would hire someone if they were head of the tiddlywink society oh great okay or whatever there you go and that's always the example he said about just like having a passion I really like that example I think um, I subscribe to that thinking as well yeah brilliant yeah well someone who's curious whoever's next cannot use that to resell an emotional story about their dad okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which is a good one from TikTok, actually, as a, it's kind of the new Tiddlywinks, isn't it? Sorry. Could you Sorry. say that the, as an entertainment what? vessel? What? TikTok is the new Tiddlywinks. Is it not? Maybe we'll use that in some upcoming marketing Yeah, yeah, campaigns. yeah. I'm going to see that as yeah, your tagline very I would shortly. say it's basically exactly the same. 
yeah. Well, Simon, we have come to time. No. In fact, we've gone way over. But thank you so much. You're for so welcome. Coming and giving. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Giving our audiences a little 101 yeah, on, on TikTok. They're taking us behind the veil about what it's like to uh, to, to work there and and you know be, be part of the e-commerce team. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed your time. Thank you. I really have. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Performance Marketing Unlocked. I am Lucy Shelley, multimedia editor at Performance Marketing World and your host for this podcast. If you want to find out more, head to performancemarketingworld.com and subscribe and you can get all the daily news, trends, analysis, interviews and a whole lot more from the performance marketing world across the globe. And tickets are now being sold for PMW Unlocked 2024. We will be back in London next March for a two-day extravaganza for brands, marketers, agencies. And if you work in-house for a brand or retail company, you can register for free. So head to our website and click on Unlock 2024 to find out more. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.